James. Yeah, good. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. How are you, mate? I'm well. All right. Today we're talking about an article called The Simple Art of Not Being Miserable uh, by Zet Rana. Mm. Is that how you pronounce it, James? <laughs> I, I think um, I, uh, I would have to agree with that one based on my <laughs> authority of pronouncing things properly. Yeah. So I think um, in the past I've corrected James on um, some pronunciations, which I have then had friends tell me was the wrong Correction, <laughs> and so now it looks really like doubly bad to 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 say well, James, I think you say it this way, and then to get it wrong. But I think it's kind of funny, so we're just going to attempt to not mispronounce things. Um, that's what this podcast should be called. Yeah, <laughs> James and Duncan's one-hour attempt at pronouncing words correctly. <laughs> yeah, words good. Um, all right. Um, so I thought of this. Um, have you ever been miserable in your life? I think the answer is yes. And did you find it simple to not be miserable, James? Well, I think when you're in the process of being miserable, simplicity of uh, getting out of that state doesn't come to mind. So I'm very keen to learn more about how I can tap into this uh, unheard of resource of making it simple. (laughs) Well, I can make a guarantee for you. If you read this blog post... It will not be simple. <laughs> it's, it's still it's still going to be hard. Perhaps it's hopefully a little less bad than it is now. Um, so I thought I'd start off with the first question. Uh, is just actually inverse. Is there a point to being miserable? Um, and I'll give you my two cents to begin with. Um, I think emotional health is feeling every emotion in a healthy way. So this doesn't mean only feeling positive emotions like happiness, you know, love, joy, etc. It also means feeling negative ones, frustration misery, you know, loss. Um, And so as an example, I think if you're miserable, maybe it's because somebody who you care about hurts you. Mm. And maybe this is okay because therefore you care about people. And I think that people that have been able to help hurt me are people I've cared about. Mm. And I don't want to not care about people. Mm. And so what this can mean is that the learning out of this is, okay, well, why are you miserable? What have they done? Are you being unnecessarily miserable? I might say that in the past, Duncan's definitely been, uh, could have that said, I've been just being unnecessarily miserable. But also, (laughs) being miserable might be a reflection that you have cared about someone. That's not a bad thing. Mm. And so, for me, you don't want to never feel miserable. But you don't want to feel miserable unnecessarily. (laughs) And so, I do think that there can be a point to being miserable. Or that not being miserable is just not bad, as an example. I think emotional health is feeling all emotions in a healthy way. Well, that sounds abundantly simple there, Duncan. Uh, I think, to your point, like being in a state of miserable, uh, misery sorry, is not what we're trying to, I guess, avoid at all costs here, even though in the moment it feels very painful to experience um, you know, mm. such, a, such an emotion. Uh, but like you, like you said, there, there is something in the, whether we call them the more negative aspects or the, um, the, the elements that would construe as suffering, that there is something in there that we do take um, utility from. And I think from a, from a philosophical point of view, that is the, the ability to have perspective. You know, um, so it's been said that, you know, unless we know what it's like to feel sadness, we can't actually be happy. Uh, unless there is uh, darkness, there's no light. So I think misery, when, apl- when you know, experienced in a certain way, is actually a reminder of the experiences that we have in life. So I do think there is um, a, a real purpose to the negative emotions of which misery construes part of. Um, so, yeah, I think misery, just let's just rename that as any sort of negative emotion for a second. Um, and so one, I talk about people at work. Um, I want to care about what I work about on. Um, and if I care about it, that means that I can get frustrated about it, or that means that it can make me stressed. Uh, the only way to not get stressed or not get frustrated is if you don't care. And so what I've found is I want to care as much as possible, but I want to care carefully. Um, I want to care without crying. Um, and so for me... There isn't necessarily, you know, you would never want to feel these things, but obviously you don't want to feel them all the time or unnecessarily so. And so I think the thing is to care without necessarily having the huge downside. Um, So I do think that just sort of the first point was that, you know, being miserable isn't necessarily always bad. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's okay to cry, Duncan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But that 
I kind of think that kind of that's what we sign ourselves up to when we want to care about something is to open ourselves up and in a in a more vulnerable way to the upside and the downside of attaching ourselves to something because when we care about something outside or outside of our own control which is basically everything except for our own thoughts um, then we're exposing ourselves to the reality of what happens particularly when um, you know certain life events don't go <laughs> Uh, according to plan or a, a certain way um, so I, I do agree I think if that start at, going from a starting point making sure that you do want to care about something whether it's greater than yourself is understanding that that's going to lead to times where you will be uh, you know suffering or in a state of misery hmm. so I thought perhaps this, the next question to, to consider is like okay well not all bad events are bad, um, you know, or, you know, don't serve a purpose, and, you know, don't serve a purpose. And one of the things that I sort of talk about is like, can you eventually look back on bad events in a good light? Um, so is it eventually possible to make them seem like, you know, they were a useful thing in your life? Now, I'm not saying you want to go through lots of bad events, but if you're going to have one happen, I think you can learn from it. Mm. And so one of the things is like, okay, well, what actually happened here? And try to get to the nub of it, to the root core. And then what is the learning from this? Okay, well, I was miserable because of the following. And therefore, I can I recognize what this is. And then I can build a system to make sure I don't have lots of that occur again. Mm. And so at the time, you're like, this is horrible. <laughs> but then you can look back and you can say, okay, well, at work, when this thing happened, we now need to make sure that we have far more redundancy <laughs> built into um I don't know, the system, so that if, if we miss, lose a person, we're not all having to hit, you know, max overload work to get this thing done. Um, I'm using sort of, um, you know, work examples here, but I believe that ultimately all bad things have a lesson in them for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that if you can extract that lesson, you can eventually look back. It might take a year or, you know, it might take a day and look back and be like, that was actually a good thing that happened. Yeah. Well, um, this goes back to a discussion you and I had last year around the Hellenic philosophical schools, uh, particularly skepticism, yeah. where they talk about, well, time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds, but time will tell. Um, and the underlying message to that point is that just because something bad has happened to you doesn't necessarily mean that that event is um, going to have a bad impact on your life. Um, mm. and it extrapolates out to saying, well, any event, um, you will never have a true understanding of the, the wider impact it has on you until you reach the very end of your life because it all feeds together to that end point. Um, so you, uh, I guess you can look at it in a way that um, suggests that everything, you are the sum of all your experiences. So everything that you are today is because of all of the events that you might otherwise consider to have been bad that has happened to you up until this point. So, Duncan, if you consider yourself to be happy where you are today, then you, um, then uh, I guess it lends to the suggestion that you should take stock on all the bad things that's happened as being part of that. Yeah, um, I think an example, and I was really good linking it back, I hadn't done this to that podcast, is like when has an event that you thought was bad turned out to be good? Um, and one of the examples that I brought up before, I, I went on a two-week skiing holiday and I broke my collarbone on day two and I couldn't ski for the rest of it. And I was like, at the time, this is very bad. <laughs> I would definitely not want to break my collarbone. Um, but because of this, I, I discovered audiobooks and it changed the amount of consuming of content that I did. And then that led to podcasts. This is like in 2009. Um, and so... This is, honestly, I would now go back and break my collarbone 100 out of 100 times. <laughs> but <laughs> if, you, if, if you'd asked me, you know, in any of that time on that ski trip, I was not happy chappy in pain, like in bed, only able to use one arm, you know, all this other jazz. Um, so I think it can be really truthful. And you, know, and you can look back and you go, well, I've only found that because of this. Um, but I think it's even more than that. Like, you know, I don't want to not break my collarbone again. I think sometimes it's like, yeah, well... We've learned that I didn't realize I was unnecessarily treading on someone's toes with the way I was communicating. Mm. But now that I've talked to me about this, I'm aware of it. And so now I can avoid it. <laughs> and so having tread on someone's toes and then them speaking to me about it and then both of us perhaps not being happy, miserable is probably too strong a word, um, can mean that we can now find a way to not do this. And so actually them speaking up about it and me not feeling good, mm. that was actually a good thing. Mm. And so this happens everywhere. Um, if there's something bad going on, learn what the lesson in it is 
and then learn how to try to not have it happen again. <laughs> um, so I think, Duncan, if you, if you want to have um, someone organized for your collarbone to be broken repetitively, <laughs> yeah. I'd be more than happy to be, uh, lend my services. You want, you want to play like a you sadistic uh, person. <laughs> I'm going to use another ad, <laughs> pronoun to describe you then. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, pain plus reflection equals progress. Uh, oh, I have to mention my daily uh, every single thing. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy needs to also <laughs> crap on about it the entire time. Yeah, um, I, I think like, uh, some stoic philosopher quote maybe I think would be very apt at this particular point in time. Um, yeah, we already we're at the Hellenic. You know, one of them is just the stories. But anyway, let's go on. Yeah, I'm going to reach into my magic hat and like I don't know, Marcus <laughs> Aurelius comes to mind. <laughs> um, I think it's Aurelius, and now I'm going to get shouted down for being wrong for my friends. There we go. Uh, oh no! Uh, well, I, Aurelius. I, yeah. I, I can only remember it being pronounced in Gladiator, so uh, it could go either way at this was he point. In Gladiator. Yeah, he was the. Um, oh. oh God, he was the, at the emperor at the start that died because he's son smothered him. Ah, oh, the good emperor. Yeah. Ah. In his okay, cool. bosom. Cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> Learn something new every day, Duncan. Yeah. Um, but um, so this is one of the things that he had in, in his own reflection, talking about how mm. our actions may be impeded, but there can be no impeding our intentions or dispositions. So because we accommodate and adapt, the mind adapts and converts to its own purposes the obstacles to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So that's a real um, meaty way to kind of, like, I guess, address it. But what I guess, what I think he's getting at here is that like, these things that present themselves as obstacles or challenges in our life is actually the way forward for us to grow and to, you know, uh, I guess, evolve as well. So... Like you said, Duncan, like they're, they're, you don't want needless suffering or needless misery. But I think if you can try and you know lend yourself to the moment that is transpiring, there's something you can get from that that will help you grow. I'll try to give my characterization of that quote. Um, so uh, what's his name? I've forgotten his set name, but he wrote the book, The Obstacle is the Way. And, and I think the last part was you said, what stands in the way becomes the way. Mm. And so sometimes, and this is sort of stoicism, like, you know, something's tough there, then you actually, I oh, know I should stop or people give up, but it's like, no, you're going, that's the path through. Um, and so I think that there is some beauty to that, but also sometimes don't, don't do things the hard way. Like if there's an easier way, <laughs> so, so, so like there's the goal, like you want to get to your goal, but there's, there's one path, the hard path, and there's two second path, the, the easy path. So sometimes you don't want to change your goal, um, mm. but you know you, you can do something easier. But I think for a lot of people, I don't know, they, they say they're not stoic enough. And I think there is you know some beauty in stoicism, but there's also beauty in I don't know being grateful and and mm. just letting things be, you know, and accepting things. Mm. Ryan Holiday, I think. Um, yes, there we go. Yeah, with yes. this, the author. Um, but you make a very interesting point, uh, which is the the semblance of having goals, which is quite the topic of the article um, that sparked this conversation. Um, so like, if, if you don't get a chance to read it in the article um, in question, the, there, are, there are two protagonists who are seeking out enlightenment. And so it talks about how there is a path to enlightenment through seeking out or having goals. So th their, their goal at this point was to find enlightenment um, as opposed to just finding things as they occur. So I think this is a good um, point to talk about this issue. Like, so um, where this kind of crosses over to not being miserable, I'm not entirely sure, but I think there's actually utility in us talking about goals versus not having goals, if that makes sense, Duncan. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to try to, oh, maybe I'll read the whole quote um, <laughs> and see if it makes sense. When somebody seeks, then it is e then it easily happens that his eyes only see the thing that he seeks, mm. and he is able to find nothing, to take it nothing, because he always thinks only about the thing that he is seeking, because he has one goal, because he is obsessed with this goal. Seeking means having a goal, but finding means being free, being open, having no goal. Mm. And so I think what this, one of the sort of lessons was, 
basically you need to be open <laughs> to, to, to finding things as opposed to having an obsession around one goal. Yep. And I think that the truth is kind of both. Um, so I think we sort of said this before, like um, plans are useless. Planning is essential. You know, Dwight the Eisenhower. Um, and so this is sort of, you know, no plan survives first contact. Um, so I think you should be having a plan. And I think a plan is a goal by a different name. But you've got to recognize that your plan's going to be wrong. <laughs> Two reasons or multiple. One, you don't have all the information. Two, the world's going to change. And three, your synopsis of the information at hand is probably, you know, at best like 75% right. Mm. And so for me, I think no goals is not necessarily good. But I think strict adherence to one goal and not changing the goal to adapt to the environment is, is very poor. Mm. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> or someone comes along and breaks their collarbone for no freaking reason. <laughs> You'll thank me later if you can. And I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> like, no, no, <laughs> let's, let's be very clear here, Duncan. You're paying yeah. me for this service of breaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, I, right. I charged sure. at the premium rate. Um, yeah. But back to your point. So, yes, there, there are. So, if it's not enough to just say goal is bad. Um, finding is good um it, it it lends more for us to kind of like uh you know investigate further what it means to have goals and why they might not be good for you or why they might not make sense um mm. so like i asked my so it's one of those things that i don't know if you get this duncan but like the, a word like goal is you take for granted understanding what it really means it's like define goal kind of thing like and you're like uh like a plan <laughs> so, um, so for me, it's a defined or de desired end state. So for me, um, goals are good when a defined end state is required. Like, so in that sense, um, you know, obvious caveat being that it's okay to have goals and change them as you go so that if you have new information, you divert courses you know, or you know, pivot slash persevere. But I want to give you the obvious example, and that is, I thought about this, and when it, when a goal is good, it's usually good when you're in the context of an organization or a company or a team. And why is that? And it's basically because um, I feel that when you are in a place where you need to collaborate, having a single communicated end state helps us work together towards that end state. So I just want to uh, I say like. A goal makes sense when you need to work together as part of a team. Um, I think that there are good goals and there are bad goals. And I think that basically a goal is you need to work as part of a team. But if it's a bad goal, it's not a good goal. It's like all goals in a team space work to me. So, so I'll give you an example. Like For my life, I didn't used to really have a goal. It used to just be, uh, um, I don't know, um, make lots of money. <laughs> um, but now for me, I think, you know, we talked about some past that the key question is like, what does it mean to live a good life and what is the common good? Um, and I don't have good answers to them, but my goal is to get a better answer mm. each year than mm. I had before. And so it's kind of about, I don't know, the journey as opposed to a destination. Yep. And so the right goal in the right place, I think, is very useful. But sometimes the goal can shut you off from looking at the world. It can mean that you're not finding, I think it's what they put here, I'm being agile. Another sort of example they talk about are extrinsic and intrinsic goals. And so as an example, you might, I don't know, want to get that car for other people so that you can have some status symbol. Now, typically the research says that that doesn't give you much happiness, but you also might love that car and you getting it means that you'll get joy from it sort of every day. And so it can be the same goal, mm. but it's actually done from an intrinsic eye, an internal motivator versus an extrinsic, i.e. external motivator, yeah. can have different outcomes. Now, I'm not saying that all extrinsic goals are bad. So I think the point here is, is that good goals are good and bad goals are bad. Mm. Yeah, so I definitely think the the idea of understanding extrinsic versus intrinsic is important because I don't believe that anyone sits down and writes out, what are my extrinsic goals? <laughs> um uh, because you know an extrinsic goal is something that's motivated by your desire for um, your uh, how you relate with other people. Like you know, I want to be seen as successful, or I want to make money because then I can, you know, 
uh, you know, rise, rise in the social hierarchy, all those kind of things. But I, I just, I, this is not to say that all extrinsic goals are bad. I think you're purporting perhaps that this is the case. I just think that good goals are good and bad goals are bad. Well, uh, and that kind yeah. of that, that point is kind of moot. Good goals are good because they're good. Yeah, but but all <laughs> extrinsic goals aren't bad, which is what I think you might have been getting to. Well, no, I'm not getting to that point, but I'm trying to say yeah. it helps to identify the goals that you're setting out where the motivation lies. Um, it doesn't help because then if, you, if it's an extrinsic goal, you should discard it. Um, but it does help you understand where your motivation for that goal is coming from. Um, and I just wanted to add into this that, uh, so Tim Urban from Way But Why does this really well uh, or beautifully in one of his articles about how to pick a career. Um, because there's a, there's a stage in um, his, uh, I guess, walkthrough where he said, you need to search for imposters. And imposters are essentially values that you hold to be true to yourself that aren't actually the case, that they were imprinted on you by other people, by society, by your culture, by your family. Um, so I, um, I feel like, Duncan, it's really important that when we look at extrinsic, intrinsic goals, we try to understand which goals are actually important because they're valuable to us and which goals are actually there because of something that we believe um, has been um, inherited from others. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Um, so I think what I didn't realize and, and what studies sort of show is that I inherited kind of all my goals from society and my family, mm. and then I slowly sort of peeled them back. Um, so initially it was like, you know, you wouldn't, you know, the best job is the highest paid job. I seriously thought that. Um, and you wouldn't, like, the best time growing up was summer holidays. And so if I could do summer holidays the whole time, that would be better than working the whole time. So as soon as I'd made enough money to not work, then I would stop working. <laughs> um, and I realized that, I, I don't know, like, you know, yeah, I didn't particularly like school more than hanging out with my friends when I was, you know, in primary and secondary school. Um, but now I do like work and, and it can be really good. And so I think part of this imposter goals is, one of the definitions I like of a good life is that you build your own values values, and then you live by them. You don't inherit values from others. Mm. And so the core ones like, I don't know, should you get married? Should you have kids? What should I, kind of job should I do? I think these are ones that you should try to be coming up with your own answer to and not taking the answer that perhaps others have given you. Mm. And I thought I've now realized for myself that I had taken the answer for others, but I didn't realize it. Like it's something that I've slowly kind of uncoupled myself from in the last 34 years. Mm. Um, but, you know, I just, it was amazing. I was like, I thought, I looked back, I was like, yeah, I definitely want that. And now I look back and I'm like, you only wanted that because others said that. You didn't actually want it because mm. you wanted it. Mm. Absolutely. And um, what's confronting about that is, is um, for anyone who's gone through this process, it's actually really, really hard. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's said, they say that unlearning is harder than learning. Uh, uh, because as you said, Duncan, like the value systems that we have that now make up part of our identity have been there for a very long time. Some of them since, um, you know, when we were first um, connecting neurons when we were babies, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and so the process of going through and pulling these apart or just breaking them down to a point where you can see clearly whether this is something I actually truly want or believe in myself in of itself, or this is actually something that was just taught to me and I always took it as a given or I just took it as um, as fact almost, uh, is it, a very, very difficult process because it requires for you to go through um, a very, very honest examination of yourself, um, which can be quite confronting. Um, and I don't know, um, I, well, I do know, Duncan, that you have gone through this process because as you've outlined, you have remodeled your view on um, what you want your relationship to work to be. You've remodeled your view on what you want your relationship to relationship to be. Um, but I think just by starting with looking at what it is you want out of life or what goals you have, and then trying to dissect where that comes from is the first step. Yeah, um, I agree. Are there any examples of things that you feel that you were imposter, uh, you know, values? I can give you one from mine sort of brought up. Uh, you know, I sort of I thought the best job was the highest paying job. And now I think no money will make you sad, but lots of money will make you happy. And you should try to find a job where you have enough money and which can give you fulfillment. You do more of your waking hours working. Um, and so I think you should enjoy them and you should get, you know, deliciousness and nutritious. So it should be enjoyable and it should give you meaning. Mm. And that's a totally different 
modus operandi or, or thing that I was focusing on. So the goal there has shifted from maximum money to enough money plus enjoyment plus meaning. Mm. Do you have an example for yourself? Um, well, I think that there's a whole host of things. I think the, the, the most rewarding one that I can think of over a long period of time was my um, understanding of the relationship I have to my personal growth. Uh, because it, from very early on, I always believed that you know school was there for learning, and that's it. Once you finish school, you finish learning. Um, and then, when I was in what well, I say as part of school with the university, um, but then the next level that I broke down was you might call an intellectual growth versus a uh, a personal or emotional growth, and. What I had always thought was that by the time that you were old enough to have a family of your own, you kind of got all that figured out. <laughs> but what I'm coming to realize is that you, you really do quite know very little, if anything at all, on those um, things that you set out to, um, I guess, create for yourself. So in my um, uh, experience, things like having a lifetime partner or a relationship that goes over a very long span of time, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like you, I've literally just gone into this with a very um, willing co-participant and that's all we had going for us. And it is, um, in my experience, supremely hard living a life with another person, let alone living a life with yourself and trying to figure out who you are but then try doing that with another person. So breaking down that, um, I guess, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, social norm um, has been quite an awakening for me. Hmm. Um, just touching on the first part of James's thing, sort of personal growth, um, I, that's another thing which I think is a goal. I want to grow each year. And I think perhaps one of the ways, of, a goal that has a destination, you know, can be good like i don't know work or something but a goal without one can be good too uh and so i honestly feel that in the last year like 2018 i learned more than in the rest of my life put together so i was 34 so the 33 years before that were less than what i learned in that one year and i think that i can learn you know more every year than the preceding year and maybe not at that level <laughs> uh but it's it's beautiful um and so i think for instance a goal of personal growth is, is can be and possibly a very good thing Mm. Um, I thought I'd shift slightly here and talk about also, but is not having a goal a good thing too? Mm. And so for me, I sort of do six days a week where I've got goals and one day a week where the, the goal is no goal or the plan is no plan, which I kind of call serendipity day, where <laughs> just, just let you know the wind blow in whatever direction, try things on. And so for me, it's a, or it's a bit of yin and yang, um, you know, some goals and some not goals. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on this, James? Um, well, I do want to invite um, perhaps a, a counter um, view to this because I don't see it necessarily as you live six days of the week with goals and one day of the week without goals. Um, but by way of a, one example, that on your serendipity day, you still have other goals going on in the background even though you're just not addressing them in that particular moment. Um, the way I see it is, whether there is a particular mindset you have that in some element of your life, you don't need to have a goal in order for you to move forward in that aspect. Um, and so where I look at this is, you know, for me personally, like I've always struggled one way or another in having tangible goals um, for certain aspects of my life. Like for example, my career, like I, do not see any like specific endpoint that I want to get to. I see almost limit limitless possibility. Um, but that kind of goes back to the idea of like, is your goal a tangible outcome or is it a journey that you simply want to improve, so to speak? Um, so from like in my, in my mind, I want to keep myself open for all possibilities in the moment without having to try and augment myself towards a specific direction, if that makes sense. So for like personal goals in that regard, I don't think are always necessary. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that I'm going to disagree a little bit. I, I think that 
you want to have some area time where you have no goals. But I think for the core areas of your life, I do think you want to have goals. Mm. And so hope is not a strategy. Um, if honestly, you know, um, I'm involved in sort of trying to help run an, an education startup called Ed Roller. If, if we went to our board and we were like, what are your plans for the year? Just have a good year. You know, they'd be like, uh, and, and. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so again, the goals or plans need to be updated. Mm. Um, you know, no plan survives first contact. Um, but I, I see a lot of people who don't necessarily like their job, but they don't have a plan for how to get a job they like. Mm. And I, what are you doing? Just hoping that a good job's going to land in your lap. Um, so for, for better or worse, I do think this is unfortunately how some people run. And, and I think that you should have times in your life where there is no goal. Like just, yeah. you don't have to plan every day and follow adherence to that plan. Yeah. But for the core areas of your life, I think you should have a plan. Yeah. So I think there are two things here that you brought up um, that I um, immediately find myself agreeing with. Um, so the first part about the example with going to the board of directors with a goal for like, have a good year. Um, like to my previous point, when it requires collaboration or when you have a, um, a team or a group or an organization then I do believe, yes, you need to have something that you're all working towards. Otherwise, you're just like cats in a field and just go off in different directions and it's very hard to get anything done. Um, so in a work sense or even in a simple, in a team environment, goals are important. They serve a very, in my mind, clear utility. Um, and so in the other example you gave, which is when things are not going the way that you want <laughs> or life is not going, life is not going well for you, um, what are you doing? Are you just sitting around waiting for Deus Ex Machina, or are you going to try and do something about it to change something? You know, insanity. Is, the definition is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I think Duncan, you've given another good example where I think maybe having a goal is a good idea. If you're in a position where something is not working well for you, then it um, it serves. Um, a good utility to saying, right, well, I want to stop this being um, the way it is. Here's a desired end state that I want to have. And here's how I think I can get towards that. Cool. Um, I, I sort of went from planning um, only the sort of work parts of my life. Um, and so I suppose like in my early and mid twenties, I was very, very focused on career. I still am, but now um, I think I really love my job. Um, and I sort of slowly went from only really being proactively planning or, or goals, which I'm sort of using interchangeably in a work sense and not thinking about, well, for instance, I was thinking about building work Duncan. What, what should work Duncan be? It wasn't just, I want a high paying job and I want a job that I enjoy. It's like, well, what do I think I need to be? What skills should I be trying to cultivate and other things? Mm. But then I sort of moved beyond that and I was like, well, actually, am I in a good relationship with myself? Mm. What do I want to be with myself outside? Also, you know, what kind of relationships I want with James? And so I made plans at the start of 2017 for these things. And then one example was that I thought James and I could have a better relationship if we had something to talk about each week. And so instead of just catching up and saying, how's your week, mate? And honestly, my week's pretty, not, nothing very eventful occurs. Mm -hmm. um, it was like, let's read an article. And so that's kind of how this podcast turned into something. So it might've been like, hey, read this article from Zat Rana and then let's have a discussion about it. And then it was like, well, I think sometimes James and I are having arguments, not discussions. <laughs> and so I so said, what actually does it mean that we need to have a discussion instead of an argument? And so then that was a goal. So officially the goal was like, well, let's get this something nutritious to talk about. Now let's do, make that nutrition taste good mm. rather than, you know, throwing, you know, you know, different insults at each other or trying to straw man each other, you know, what is a, a constructive way to do these things? And so for me, um, the wrong goals will lead you astray, but no goals are often very bad. And so an example of a goal, just to put James' point on and then I'll stop, is if things are good, then your goal might be keep them where they are. I don't have to actively create a new set of you know plans here. I'm good. But that's mm. still a goal. Mm. No decision is making a decision. Yeah. So I think um, what we're kind of, I think where we're, um, what we're dancing around here is, um, so in that runner's original, um, uh, I guess, article talks about goals versus uh, well seeking versus finding and how he like um you know put seeking and goal in one bucket and he just put finding out there on his own and what i think you and i are kind of getting um you know more al alignment on that we're not really uh, realizing is that 
they've got their goals with a tangible end state and their goals where you're trying to just look at improving the journey or like goals that are on the journey and goals that are on the destination. So maybe like we actually do see things very similar here in terms of like, well, it does make sense to have goals that you want to improve the journey, that you do want to be in a state of constant growth. You do want to be in a state of, um, you know, improving things um, continually. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, desire, a, a defined end state, but a defined journey. Does that make sense? Uh, yes and no. I think you're sort of rehashing something, but again, to, to me, bad goals will probably be worse than no goal, but good goals will be better than no goal. And that I think in almost all areas of my life, I now have goals and that I've found that doing them well is better than not. But sometimes the goal is no, the plan is no plan. So a day a week, I'm just like, I'm not trying to figure out that today I should be doing this, but I have a plan for myself and my relationship with myself. I have a plan for my relationship with my family. I have a plan for my relationship with James, you. you know, I have a plan for work. I have a plan for these things. The plans are almost always wrong to some degree, um, but hopefully they're better than not having any plan. And so my sort of synopsis here is I think that I've tried slowly having goals in more and more places and I've felt out some two steps forward, some one step backwards type outcomes to be in a much better place than I was. And so for me, Goals in almost all places, and sometimes the the goal is no goal, but that is an active goal. You know, are better, and and I do think that in most places, like I've been able to make it better than otherwise was. Okay, so maybe another way of looking at this is how does this affect your mindset? Um, so the example I give here is that um, so you do set yourself a goal to improve the current state of um, whatever uh, area it is that you're focusing on. Um, but how do you move through that? Because, um, like they, like, like that round of positives, like when you're seeking, you put yourself in a position where you're kind of just, uh, making all things other than the desired target invisible. So how do we allow us to find possibilities that we couldn't have previously, uh, I guess, envisioned, so to speak? Um, and so one of the, like, you know, in business today, we call it agile. <laughs> hmm. um, but um, in, a, in a more personal sense, it's just about being responsive to change. Um, so, like, for for example, I, I guess if I, can, if I can just think of something, with my, like I, like, I want to be the best parent possible for my children, but they are con- consistently changing, and I have to consistently change my <laughs> relationship with them. Um, you know, it, it still takes getting used to having a child who knows what you're saying in a discussion with the other parent when they're in the room. Um, so having a goal, I don't find necessarily helps, but having the ability to be in a mindset where I need to continually adapt and evolve does. Maybe we're, we're talking at odds here. Your goal is to be a good parent. Mm. I think you said you, you think that that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think, again, how you articulate what a goal is, um, what I think he was saying is that strict adherence to something mm. where you're only seeking one thing and you're not looking to see any of the other things that come along and being agile mm. isn't good. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, you know, goals done well are really good. I think we sort of said this. And so I think maybe it's it's time to move on to a different part, which is something he sort of gets onto to the end. Uh, and this we've talked about in the past a little bit is and this happiness equals reality minus expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this true? Uh, James and I once had a long conversation about this. Maybe we can try to abbreviate. Um, my two cents is that I think day to day, it's true. So happiness is, like, is today's reality better than my expectations? Then dark and happy boy. But the, the hack isn't to have the lowest expectations, therefore you jump over the broomstick yeah. and, it, and it's really easy. Yeah. That you want to have expectations that are rising long term because this is a reflection of your life getting better. Yeah. If your expectations are going down over the long term, then things have not been going well. So day to day, yes, happiness is reality minus expectations. But long term, you want your expectations to be rising. So there's kind of this channel yeah. that reality and expectations are rising in proportion to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so um, uh, I stuck on this for a very long time and it never sat well with me. Um, there's the immediate um, extrapolation, like, okay, so if expectations are zero, your happiness equals reality, that doesn't make intuitive sense. Um, 
But where I really, I guess, found the most trouble with this, um, I guess, um, this formula is that there's no agency that feeds back into your reality. It almost seems like you're entirely reactive to what is happening external to you. Like, where is the feedback loop that says by changing your circumstances, you can improve your reality? And by improving your reality, you can improve happiness or whatever it is that you would like to measure, um, you know, success by. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think we're saying the same thing. Is that fair, James? That um, you basically, yeah, expectations yeah, it's, at an appropriate level is really important and, and rising over the long yeah, term. Is that yeah. fair? Or well, not? I, yeah, so I think um, there were two parts. Like, So, it, yeah, like you said, it's not about just reducing expectations to get over the bar because hmm. there are things like having goals that justify having high expectations for something. Like, it's okay to have high expectations for yourself in, you know, where you want to go in life. Like, that's how you reach the top. That's how you get to the pinnacle of whatever it is you want to set out to achieve. You got to have, you got to expect it of yourself. So instead of it being a negative value on a um, on an equation, it act, it serves as a you know a, a function of improving your um, you know your your livelihood, your happiness over time. Um, so it's almost like, well, how does expectation actually improve your reality? Mm. Yeah, so I do like this. I think any model has its strengths and weaknesses, and this is no different. All but, models know, are wrong. Is... I'm a helpful. <laughs> I don't uh, find this helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, happiness equals reality minus expectations. And so one thing to work on reality, I think there's a really big drive around this, is like gratitude practice at the moment. So your reality, you might be thinking it's worse than it actually is because you're not being grateful. And I've found that, you know, and the studies show this, if you write down three things you're grateful for, you, you slowly build your gratefulness muscle and you find many, many, many more things to be grateful. So I've like improved my grateful vocabulary, you know, 100x. I, initially, I had like five things on rotation. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Now I reckon I could go through 5,000. So that's probably like a, you know, a 1,000x improvement. So as an example, like one of the things I was being grateful for this morning was this person yesterday who frustrated me uh, because... I thought that the way that they frustrated me illuminated something new that I hadn't seen. Whereas in the past, that's something I would have written that I'm frust uh, um, grateful for. Um, and so it's kind of already one day later mm. turning something that was a bad experience into a positive. Yeah. But the other one, which I talked about, so reality better by doing gratitude practice, expectations better because it might be too high by doing stoicism. You know, I think Marcus really was saying, you know, today you will encounter ungrateful people, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so in the morning, I do gratitude practice and I do stoicism practice. Like mm -hmm. what are the things that I need to make sure that I have expectations in check for? Oh. <laughs> so I write three things to be grateful for and three areas that, Duncan, are you having unrealistic expectations that you need to lower? And like, yes, you are. <laughs> Is this going to end a good way? No. You know, how many times do I see four? Like every day of my life? Okay, well, maybe we should change that. <laughs> well, it's good to see that your meditation seems to be having uh, good effect, Duncan, uh, seeing as you're able to tolerate my long-winded uh, conversations. So. Long-winded. <laughs> oh, damn it, I did it again. <laughs> no, I actually Oh, that's a good one. I There's nothing makes you happier than you mispronouncing something, so that's really good. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, so the power of gratitude is an incredible tool. Um, mm. Just, you know, it puts you in a mindset where you look at what's going on around you at this particular moment and seeing the beauty in it. Um, because mm. there, there are so many otherwise considered mundane parts of your life that if you stop and reflect on that one thing, um, just how much has had to happen for that to be possible. Um, mm. Like I, I just, like for me, they might not be so mundane, but like for this morning, I was just reflecting on being able to come home and go straight to the beach and have a swim with my baby girl. Mm. Like, just, like something simple as that before, instead of just going straight home and winding down and reading books and going to bed, it was like, I get to have this, um, this playtime um, at the end of the day, every day, um, which is just you know, a, an incredible gift that I get to enjoy. Um, another thing I'm grateful for is Izzy, my other daughter, taking to her new <laughs> bunk bed like a champion. <laughs> um, she absolutely loved it, and it's just such a um, it's so uh, so pleasurable witnessing 
something that you can almost remember yourself going through when you were a child as well. Like, I, I don't know if you, you didn't even have bunk beds, Duncan. You don't even understand, but <laughs> the top bunk is where it's at. Um, no, no, I didn't like going. Seeing that unfold in um, your own child is a special thing to not only witness, but then later that day or the next morning to sit back and reflect on, to just, you know, to, to appreciate all that you have. Um, so yeah, gratitude is an insanely powerful tool that I highly recommend. Um, and you know, I, I do thank you, Duncan, for um, you know putting me on this path because I, yeah. I wasn't for it in the beginning, but now I'm definitely a converted uh, participant. Yeah. Um. So there are heaps of studies on this. Like this is you know peer-reviewed studies that change. You know, say so you do. And for me personally, um, initially, I was it, it felt. Somewhat almost discouraging that I was able. I was basically re-saying the same things every day for the first week, or maybe I had two or three days worth of things. And then on the third day came around, I was like rotating. <laughs> but um, what what has happened is that now, when I have a spare moment, it used to be that I thought, ah, oh, what have I got to get on with work? And oh, who did something this morning that might have annoyed me? And now, when I have a spare moment, I'll be like, oh my god, how beautiful is the sun shining through the trees over there? Oh, wasn't it nice that someone so said this? So my re my automatic response when I have a moment used to be, what are the problems I've got to solve? What do I need to get done? And now it's like, oh my God, what do I have something to be grateful for? Mm. And my grateful vocabulary, i.e. what I've found to be grateful for, has gone up orders of magnitude. And James, do you feel that this is something that's been helpful for you? So you started writing three times a day, is that right? Yeah. Well, three things a day. All right, well, three things a day. So no, so yeah, three things a day. Yeah. Um, and, and you found that it, it's mean that your automatic response has become, more often you're thinking of things to be grateful for in between you're doing the gratitude practice well yeah it's like everything that i'm um experiencing like it's almost like now there's this automatic um thing that comes on that makes me appreciate whatever it is i'm going through like i Mm. i would say um you know we we can try and benefit from all our experiences if they don't make us happier they can at least make us wiser but i Mm. realized how little i was embodying that quote because sometimes i'm actually grateful for the things that haven't made me happier and they have instead made me a lot wiser but um you know we talk about pain and reflection but we don't talk about then expressing our gratitude for the opportunity to learn from that pain because that's an incredible gift um because that's what actually helps us to grow Uh, and then stopping and looking at that as and seeing it as a gift, I think, is almost kind of like the final step in, you know, uh, you, know you transcending your prior self. Mm. This has gotten slightly off topic, but, like, I think it is actually on topic. Um, <laughs> the simple art of not being miserable, like gratitude practice. And this is nothing yeah. uh, groundbreaking. Uh, actually, well, if you told five years ago, Duncan, I'd be like, this is hippie, you know, something, something. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't believe that, you know, but there is hard data. Just like meditation, like five years ago, Duncan, actually, I first tried to try and meditate in 2011 and I failed so miserably. So that's God knows what, ever seven years ago. And it took me until I, the third crack, I think I tried 2011, 2013, 2015, and then 2015, mm. it took root. Uh, but I was just not doing well. So meditation is another one, which I think is sort of a hack. Yeah. Not a, not a hack, like it, it's, it's incredibly important. And so give it a try yeah uh, um <laughs> just quickly i remember trying my first stint of meditation it was bikram yoga and uh my thought process throughout the entire time was don't pass out don't pass out mm-hmm. don't pass out <laughs> i think yoga is a type of meditation but i don't think it's a traditional type that most people and it's would not the only type uh, i guess yeah give sam harris's app um waking up that meditation one a crack i really like it oh yeah, yeah um, very good it's good. And Sam Harris in general is good. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, we should do a podcast or something he says sometime. Um, so one of the things that they sort of said later as well is um, both the two characters whose names I'm not going to try and pronounce because they're going to butcher it. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> seek their... Okay, here we go. Siddhartha and Govinda. And I think this is the story of Buddha. Um, and Siddhartha, I think, actually ended up being Buddha. And so I should pronounce this, and I have read a number of mooks, books mooks <laughs> on Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, spe- they send, spend their whole lives seeking enlightenment, but it wasn't until they simply stopped looking for it that they found it. Have you ever stopped looking for something only to then find it? Uh, I can think of a very, very um, pertinent um, time in my life where this is relevant. 
Um, and we've touched on this in numerous times uh, in numerous other discussion tokens, but like I would probably have considered myself all the way through my childhood as being hopelessly romantic, um, most, mostly because I was always, uh, I guess, yearning for that um, that that experience of having a partner where we could be romantic together. Um, and that was actually part of my identity for a very long time, even though I never had it. And it wasn't until I what, call it a personal journey or uh, whatever growth that I went through, where I came out on the other side as a much more, I won't say entirely because I, you never are entirely complete, but as a much more complete person <laughs> where I was now finally able to say I am happy um, you know, within my own company and like actually looking forward to being in my own company and not no longer looking for this um, and in, by way of having a, re- a relationship. And when that happened, when I finally stopped looking outward, <laughs> did I actually then serendipitously meet my, um, my future life partner <laughs> um, at that very same time? So it only when I truly stopped because I was in a state of tranquility and peace um, did it come to me in, in such a way. Is, is one way of articulating that, like, um, when I was younger, um, boredom was a bad thing. Mm. So if I had too much time by myself, like, anxiety to go up, you know, and I'd be like, turn on the TV, you know, call a friend or whatever. Um, so 20-year-old Duncan, boredom was bad. And now, 34-year-old Duncan, boredom is a thing I long for deeply. Uh. <laughs> when I get a moment to myself, like, mm. I sure as hell, like, if there's nothing happening on Friday night, I am not organizing anything. Like, hell yes, sit by myself in a dark room, you know, with no lights on, no music, no nothing, and just be like, oh. <laughs> <coughs> Anyways, um, I think part of what you're saying is that when you were finally, com- finally is the wrong thing, you know, but you're comfortable with your own company and you weren't necessarily looking to find someone because you're like, oh, I should be trying to find a partner, I- I'm lonely or whatever, then you found a partner. Is that fair or is that a total misrepresentation? Um, well, it's it just, it, yes, I think that's almost fair. It's, it's not so much... Um, the element of like I'm lonely versus I'm no longer lonely. It was yeah. this is what I was directing my energy towards because um, on further um, introspection, I was not secure or I guess um, uh, I guess comfortable in myself. I, I needed mm. something else to kind of fill that void. And it was only when I became at a state of um, you know. I don't know if you call it peace, but at a point where I was just so happy and um, peaceful with just being with myself because I realized I was happy in my own company, <laughs> that mm. no longer became a driving force of my own identity. Um, mm. And so by doing that, I believe that is what then opened me up to being ready for a loving lifetime relationship. I mean, like they say, like before you can love someone else, you must first learn to love yourself. Mm. Mm. Okay, so a question I asked, and I've got a couple of examples to me. Have you ever stopped looking for something only then to find it? Um, so I'd come to believe that you could find work interesting and that work could be good for the world. And I thought that the best intersection of both those things was a startup, um, but the, the caveat was that most startups failed. So you didn't actually <laughs> do something that was very good for the world if it didn't go anywhere. But I was, you know, young at the time. I'm still young, but like, I don't know, late 20s no mortgage, you know, no partner, no children. So I had no sort of fixed overheads. And I was like, at this point of your life, you should have taken the biggest risks possible. So I was like, you should try and start a startup now, not in 10 years time when you've got all these, you know, overheads you need that you can't get rid of. <laughs> um, and, and so for me, I was searching, searching, searching for a startup, trying to find these things. And at Rollo, it, it found me. So I mean, but Ben, one of the other the three co-founders came along, so I got a business idea. And I was like, sweet. And I was like, this sounds cool. And I think when I was younger, I sort of was had time to fill, but now it's kind of hit default answer no. Um, I got to justify why I should do something, and mm. the second business that I'm involved in called Owltail, that found me. Like I sure as hell was not looking for a second business, and I was like, no, nah, don't want to do this. And in the early stages, I was like, give me a reason to kill this, give me any reason. And I was like looking, and I was like, I'd set these like what I would consider like unreasonably high bars for it to to clear, and it would, and I'd be like, damn it. Uh, all right, fine. I'll give you. I'll give you another bar. <laughs> and I was biting off like six months at a time. Mm. And and then I was kind of like, yep. Yeah, at the end of this, if this died, I'd be happy. 
<laughs> and, and it just kept not dying. Um, now I'm at a point where I'm quite attached to the thing and I think that it can make a big difference to the world and we've made a lot of progress and so I kind of feel it's more reprehensible not to make it work. Um, but in the early days, I was like, you know, let, give me a good reason. Um, and, and so now I feel that I, I don't look for things. Things find me. Mm. Um, and I say no to a lot of things that find me. Yeah. Whereas that just didn't used to be the, part, the case in the past. I had a deficit of good things finding me. Or, or also known as nothing finding me <laughs> in the early days. Um, but now um, I think um, I'm very, very fortunate to have some things come on. Not every day, yeah. but like I'm full. I'm already full. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't have any space that I'm like, well, I've got some spare time. Like, no, zero spare time. <laughs> Um, I think you pointed at something that's quite interesting, Duncan, in your um, approach towards our tale. And I'm going mm. to term it as an anti-goal. Because, <laughs> because you, if you think of a goal, it's a very, very specific direction. And if you had a specific direction for our tale, you try to do everything but that. Like you look for any other reason for it to fail or for it to not be something worth pursuing. Um, and so uh, it's it kind of like, um, you know, we can't have a podcast without mentioning Ray Dalio. So it's kind <laughs> of like how Ray Dalio looks at any idea that he has, how can he be wrong? Uh, mm. And I think maybe this is something that you could, you know, by way of um, layering on top of the goal that you have, how can you stress test that goal? Or how can you allow any goal that you have to be opened up so that you may be able to find a better alternative. Does that make sense? I think it does. Um, we're almost at an hour mark, so, so I think we should switch to summary town. Mm. I think it's almost a good summary. So um, I will start. Um, so it's called The Simple Art of Not Being Miserable, um, which for better or worse isn't so simple <laughs> for me. Um, uh, they say life doesn't get easier, you get better at it. And I feel that two steps forward, one step back, I typically have been able to get better at it, which is good. Um, and I think life isn't easy, but that doesn't mean it isn't fun. Like life can be a truly interesting you know, journey and fun. And I think part of that means having good goals. Bad goals will lead you astray, but I think no goal is a goal. Like you're not, you're not, you know, you're just hoping it's going to happen. And so a lot of these aren't things with destinations. They're kind of a journey. Um, and I think that I've basically been gone from like, I don't know, drifting along, get sent to school, get taught a curriculum that you didn't choose, you know, go to university, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to moving to basically slowly deciding what it is I think I should be spending my time on in all areas of my life work, family, friends, personal time. And two steps forward, one step back, I've definitely made some silly, silly decisions. But all else equal, I think that you can get better at life mm. and that having good goals, now some of these are journeys, not destinations. Some of them are intrinsic, some of them are extrinsic. And as James pointed out, knowing that your goals are going to need to change, that the best you can have is what you have at the time, mm. but that's not going to be right, mm. um, is, is crucial. Um, so... Yeah, I think there is an art to not being miserable, but it's not simple. <laughs> um, so the art of not being miserable, um, which is quite a profound idea when you try and look at it from the way that runner is, um, I guess, um, expressing. Uh, another way of looking at it, and he touches on it in um, what he writes, is that life is suffering. <laughs> um, to put it bluntly, as Buddhism does, as Christianity and Judaism and all the other religions, um, you know, outline in their teaching. So what can we as individuals or we as people do to try and lift ourselves out of this state of misery or suffering and strive for something better? Um, and so one of, the, um, one of the great utilities that we have is this ability to see into the future or the ability to sacrifice things today for a better life tomorrow. And goals, uh, for better or worse, can be a way of helping us strive for something better. Uh, I think by looking at each goal in its entirety, understanding are these goals that are truly driven by values um, that are true to myself, or are they driven by values that I have unconsciously or otherwise inherited by others or society or by, um, by cultural, um, I guess, means? Having goals can also be very, very helpful, uh, you know, by encouraging us to cooperate better 
Uh, and you know that's what some people have said that separates us from other species is our ability to cooperate. And by cooperating, we can collectively lift ourselves out of the misery bucket. Um, I think by allowing yourself to be open to other possibilities, whether that is having gold that you can shift accordingly based on your information, or just having a mindset that opens yourself up to opportunities and those that are around you, um, is important to try and ensure that we always maintain this sense of constant growth, constant improving, you know, our lives. Yeah. Yay. Okay, we're done. I can't believe it was on 18 of these. Um, I remember um, yeah. James and I were listening to some of the earlier ones I was over Christmas and I was like, I have no recollection of doing this. Yeah. Like it literally to other people like I'm not even the topic I'm like oh yeah I can talk about like none yeah. and so this is a wonderful rec record for ourselves anyways the next one we're going to talk about is Tim Minchin's nine lessons for life mm. um, so um, yeah if you have any feedback let us know feedback is good we love um, feedback otherwise speak to you soon James alright cheers thank you bye